book of Ezra. Hallelujah. The book of Ezra chapter 1. Praise the name of Jesus. When you got to say so. Praise the Lord. If you're seated, let's all stand as we read the word of God. The book of Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and this is what it says. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with, go with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And also those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithredath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a silver kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Shezbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence, Lord God. We thank you for your challenge in our lives, Father God, to come higher in you. Father God, to do great and mighty things. We thank you for, Lord God, being here with us today. And we ask you, dear Lord, that you would hear us. And, Lord God, as we have cried out to you for you to speak to us, Lord God, and that you, Lord, from your throne, Lord, would minister precisely what you want us to hear from you, Father God. Lord, we thank you for your word that is truth and that is able to remove and align us with your will and your purpose. And we give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. We are dealing with built to last is what I started talking about last week. And in this particular portion of scripture in the book of Ezra, one of my favorite books in the, or fa favorite areas in the Bible because Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all of these books show God in such a glorious and mighty way. But they deal with something that is very important and it is a rebuilding project. It is a project of rebuilding, a project of reestablishment. It is a project to go on ahead and go back and, and build up what was built at one time, but because of disobedience, 
because of rebellion, because of not listening to what God was speaking, they lost. And the children of Israel I'm talking about when I say they, they lost some stuff. And one of the things that they lost was this glorious and beautiful house of the Lord. It had been destroyed. It was all rubble. And so now, years later, after the book of Isaiah has been written about, you know, a couple of centuries, about 200 years after that, Suddenly, there was this king by the name of Cyrus, and it's amazing because when we look at the book of Ezra, we find a threefold, or the beginning, should I say, of a threefold building project, and the, pro- the building project began with the altar. It went from the altar to the building, and from the building to the walls of the city, which we'll find in the book of Nehemiah when we're getting ready to end this series. And in this, it is all the result of one thing, and it is a prophetic word that God gave through the prophet Isaiah talking about this king by the name of Cyrus. And all of this is very important because when you look at this story, everything seems absolutely unlikely. First of all, it is amazing, and, and, and this King Cyrus wasn't alive when, prophesied, when, 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 when Isaiah was prophesying. So, like I said, around 100, 200 years prior to King Cyrus even coming to life, God already spoke not just the general word. It wasn't like, you know, how when you watch these movies and it says there's going to be a man or there's going to be a king. No, he called this one by name. He said, Cyrus is my anointed. If you look in the book of Isaiah 45 and 46, you find this king who is being mentioned there. And it's amazing because this king, nowhere does it say that this king was Jewish. Wasn't Jewish, he was Persian, okay? He wasn't Jewish, therefore he wasn't wasn't committed to the laws of God. But did you hear what he said when when we read this together? He said, everything that I have, and I'm going to paraphrase it right now. He said, basically, everything that I have, every kingdom that I've conquered, it's not been because I'm such a great leader. He said, because the God of heaven has given it all to me. And the Bible says in the beginning of this, it says, and God stirred his spirit. This is so awesome when you read it because this king, again, he's not Jewish. He's nowhere says that he's devoted to the things of God or Judaism in any way, shape, or form. He's not into any of those things. But this king, by the name of Cyrus, is called in the book of Isaiah 45, the Lord's anointed. You know what that means? Let me, let me tell you what that means when you hear the word anointed. He's talking about the Lord's deliverer. God is calling him. He's saying, this guy is going to be my deliverer. This guy is going to be the one to bring deliverance to my people. And you know what he says after that two times? He says, and he don't know me. Did did, did you hear what I just said? He is going to be my deliverer. He is going to be the vessel that I use. And guess what? He don't even know me. Because you know what I'm going to do? This is what Almighty God is doing. He's saying, I'm going to show out a little bit. And I'm going to show you how great I really am. I'm going to show you how sovereignly in control I really am. I am going to show this king, I'm going to reveal unto this king my greatness and my sovereignty. And you know what he's going to do? Because I am the one who establishes all authority. That's what God is saying. I am going to use this king to bring my people back to the place that they need to be. Mm-hmm. You see, church, the reason why I read this story is because, or I share this story is because it shows us this wonderful building project. But here in this particular thing, it gives us a real understanding that we should never underestimate, underestimate the sovereignty of God's ability to fulfill his will in our lives. Did you hear me? We should never. Look, I do not care what you are going through. 
I do not care what it looks like today. I don't care what it seems like. I don't care what the report is. God is sovereignly able to accomplish his will in your life, and it is up to us. We were talking about this in Wednesday night Bible study when we were looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. It is so important for us to ensure that we are connected to the will of God because when we are connected to the will of God, you may go through hell, you may go through difficulty, you may go through trial, but at the end of it all, guess where you're going to be? Where God wants you to be. At the end of it all, you are going to arrive in the place that God has designed and purpose for you. The key is staying in alignment with his will. But here's the thing. We cannot be in alignment with his will if we are not aware of his word. Notice, notice, read it with me in verse 1. Look at it. He says, now in the first year of King Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord, not that the desire of King Cyrus. You see what that says there? It says that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred the heart, stirred the spirit of this king. It was because of the word of God. And what we've got to realize is that there was a divine declaration that took place in the book of Isaiah. And all of a sudden, when that divine declaration was made, uh, the, the, when the time came for that word to come to pass, guess what? This king rose up and he made a proclamation. There was, there, there was something declared in heaven or, or eternity past, and now this king, he got wind of it. There, there's a, the, 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 the readers or the, or the writers, should I say, historians, Josephus, they account when Daniel read this under this king. And this king heard, when the, when the king heard the word of the Lord, he was stirred in his heart. He was like, oh, my goodness, I am all up in your Bible, in this prophet's mouth 200 years earlier. And he, he, he was amazed and he was stirred. And you know what the problem is? Let, 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 let me tell you the issue, church. The issue is that when we hear this word, we don't get stirred. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. We read this word and we don't get stirred. We, we, we read what the word, we look at what Jesus is doing, and you know what happens to us, and, and, I, and I can tell you this, what happens to us is it becomes just common. Hello, somebody. It doesn't stir us. Doesn't wake us up. One day, you know, one time it did. At one time, it was exciting. It was motivating. I love to hear the word of God. I love to be in the Bible. And then, you know, suddenly later on, it doesn't really stir us. See, and if it's not stirring us, guess what we're not going to do? Anything that brings glory and honor to God. Hello. If we're not stirred, you know, we're we, we just going to sit down on our hind side. Hello. And do nothing to bring glory to God. But when the word of God stirs us, we don't care. I want you to know something. This king communicating what he said, that everything that he had was a sovereign God, that's a big deal. Again, this is not, this is not Moses or somebody. Hello. This is a king that believes in pagan gods. This is a king that is surrounded in a, it's a whole different thing. And he declares something because what? Because the word of God stirred his heart. And so here's the first thing I would like for you to repeat after me in dealing with this building project. And it is the establishment of the altar is imperative for any lasting divine dwelling. Today I want to talk to you a message I've entitled, Building Personal. Building Personal. 
because it's got to be personal. There's got to be some personal investment. Turn with me to chapter 3 really quickly, please, of the book of Ezra. And it says here in verse 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, And when the seventh month had come, so now these, the, the children of Israel had been back here in Jerusalem for seven months making the preparations. And when the seventh month came of that first year, it says the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. So they weren't just spread out doing their own thing. They didn't come with their own. They all came together as one man. And it says, Then Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the brethren and, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose, and they did what? They built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because the people of those countries, they set the altar on its basis, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening offerings. And verse 4 says, they also kept the feast of tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by the ordinances for each day. Afterward, they offered the regular burnt offerings, and those for new moons, and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that, that were consecrated, and those of everyone who willingly offered a free offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. Why do I read all of this? Because in chapter 1, it tells us there was something was shifting in the atmosphere. It's saying something was changing. It was time for this building project to take place. And this king rises up, makes a proclamation. He frees all of these people that have been brought into this captivity. He says, okay, I want you to go back to your land, and I want you to build. I want you to rebuild this, temp this temple. I want you to rebuild this building for the Lord. I want you to rebuild this place. And then in chapter 2, it gives you all the names of all the people that went, and I want to read that to you. That's like 70 verses that you don't have to know all that right now. You'll get tired and fall asleep on me. But anyway, in chapter 3, we catch up. After, after we know who's been there, chapter 2 tells you who's there. And then chapter 3 tells you once they're there, now this is what begins to happen. And the first thing that these people do, the first thing that they do is they build an altar. And this is important because notice, the first thing that they built was this altar. In other words, they didn't put the altar in the building, but they built the building around the altar. Notice this. What happens is... When they get into the land, they go on ahead and they don't say, well, you know, we need to build this great big building. And then once the building is built, we'll build an altar. That isn't what they said. They say, no, no, here's what we need to do. We need to build the altar first. Why is that? Because the altar is the place of what? Worship. Hello? The altar is the place of sacrifice. Here's, here's, here's how we apply this to our lives, church. It is that we, many of us, are waiting for our lives to have these perfect and wonderful circumstances for us to start worshiping. Did you hear me? We're waiting for the financial breakthrough to start worshiping. And, and when I say worshiping, I mean tithing and offering. Hello, somebody. We're waiting to be able to afford to give so that way we can. No, hold on a second. It said here, the foundation of the temple had not been laid. We're waiting for the perfect spouse for us to begin to worship. We're waiting for our children to be saved mm -hmm. and delivered. Hallelujah. We're waiting for that promotion 
in our job. <laughs> but see, he praised them before the promotion. Hallelujah. See, we're waiting for all of this perfect stuff. Listen, listen, this is what we've got to realize is that anything that God is building is going to begin in worship and it is going to be sustained by worship. Did you hear me? Anything that God is involved in, he's got to be the center of attention. In other words, the altar is the place where I make sacrifice. We're going to talk a little bit about sacrifice in a moment. The altar is the place where I go on ahead and I bring things unto the Lord. It is the central focus. In other words, the building, all of the exterior stuff is not the focus. The focus is the most important thing, which is the object of our affection, which is God. When you're looking at the altar, why do I say building personal? It's because when I'm looking at the altar, what I see, church, is that the altar is symbolic of you and I as individuals. Hello, somebody. See, the first thing that's got to be built up is you. The first thing that's got to be established is your intimacy with him. The first thing that's got to be revived and revitalized is your devotion to seeking his face and running after him and going to do the things that he's called. The first thing that's, see, because we can get into all kind of other stuff, but it's, it ain't going to make no difference. See, because here's what happens. You can build a nice big building and pretend like you got an altar, but you really don't. Did you hear me? Oh, it can all look good on the outside. I remember, I, I remember being in school and they were talking to us about, you know, purchasing a, a house and stuff like that. And they said, you know, there's a lot of people that when they buy, the, you know, they buy their houses, you drive by their house and they got this big old house. Everything looks real good. But you go and knock on the door and go on the inside, there ain't no furniture in there. Did you hear me? They driving, they, they, they driving the car of the year. Mm-hmm. They are blessed, uh-huh, highly favored, mm-hmm. But when you go inside of that house, it is empty. There is nothing up in there. So what does that mean? That means they really shouldn't be living there. Hello, somebody. Right? They're trying to impress somebody, but they can't even bring them inside. Come on, be impressed. Walk around my house. Come on, hang out with me. Let's, let, let's walk around. Look at my garden, glory to God. You want to help me wash my car? Can I get some water? No, we don't do that here. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Listen, listen. The altar is imperative because the altar is what's going to bring everything else into alignment. Because what they did was they went ahead. They said, okay, we've been here seven months. Now it's time for us to go on ahead and build. We, we, they, they, there was fear in the land. Hello? See, you and I, you know, by, by, on our own, you know, it, it's cool. We're around everybody. You know, we can be all Christian, mighty, you know, Joe Young, glory to God. When we're, when we're together, right, you know, we're, we're good. But we get by ourselves, right? And, 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 and those situations arise in our lives. Those people begin to come and, 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 tempt, and test us to see if we're really devoted, see if we really know what we believe. And then what happens? Well, you know, we can either cower in that situation or we can say, I might not have every answer, but you know what? I had an encounter. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I may, I, I may not know everything, but I had an encounter with the king of glory. I, I, I may not know every Bible scripture of what I believe, but I know the Jesus that saved me. I met him, and therefore, nothing you can say is going to stop me from being the worshiper, stop me from being the child of God that I've been called to be. See, I may not be able to answer all of your questions about how this is wrong there or that's wrong there or why we do this, but I know this. The reason why I'm here today is because his 
his grace and his mercy endure forever. And I'm saved by that mercy, so I'm excited about that. And I'm going to be loud and proud about Jesus. And when I don't know what to say, I'm not going to act like I know what to say. Hello, somebody. Christians, don't get crazy on me. Hallelujah. Amen. Just tell them, I don't know the answer. I'm going to get it for you, though. Hallelujah. Don't, don't, don't try to have arguments you can't finish. Amen. The altar, the altar, it is the place where true worship and character development meet. Why? Well, because what happens is when you look at the altar, you can't just bring any old thing to the altar. Hello? Am, am, am I right about that? When, when, when you're reading your Bible, you'll find that God got upset. He said, y'all bringing broken animals to me. Y'all are bringing stuff that's defiled. You're bringing things that are not the number one. They're not the top, uh, top of the line of what you have. You're bringing me garbage. Hello? So what does that mean? That means that while I am at home, while I'm going through these animals, my character is being developed because what? Because I've got to bring the right sacrifice. Because I've got to bring the right offering. So obviously here we ain't bringing animals. Hello, somebody. But you know what we do? We get to test our own lives. So the second thing, I need you to repeat something else. Let me say this with me. Say the altar of the Old Testament is the equivalent of the cross in the New Testament. What do you mean, Bishop? Here's what I mean. The altar of sacrifice was the place where private devotion met with public demonstration. What do you mean? Well, I just said it. When they were in their home, they're devoted to God. Guess what they were doing? They were checking out their animals. They were going to bring a bull. They were going to bring a sheep. Whatever it was that they were going to bring, they were going to bring pigeons, turtle dove, whatever they were bringing to sacrifice, they were at home privately, right, by themselves, deciding, okay, does this align with the law of God? Does this align with what God requires? Does this align with what God says? And then what did they do? Then they came from their home, and they all brought it to the altar. Glory to God. So everybody, see, we have this concept, and, and, and this is the issue. See, back in those days, look, worship, it was an open thing. Everybody's worship was tested. Everybody's offering was tested. It was all, it, and you know, who was it was tested by the priest. You were coming up to the altar, and they were going to check your stuff out and be like, mm-mm, that right there, that's defiled. You see that leg? This, this leg is shorter than that one. Hello, that thing's got a little hump back on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, t I'm telling you, that, that it, it's not the right color. I mean, that, that is what they were required to do. They had to do that. So you, know what, you, know, you want to know what happened? That, you know what that caused people to do? That caused people. While the priests were good, because see, the priests the priest got defiled, and they didn't care about nothing. That's why they ended up in the situation they were in. But here's the thing. While the priests were really walking according to the mandate of God, while the priests were really walking according to what the scriptures taught, guess what? These people, weren't, they weren't crazy enough to bring that. You know how embarrassing that is? You standing in a line going all the way down the block, <laughs> talking to folks, you know, on, on the way up. Yeah, we're going to bring the sacrifice. Glory to God. You seeing everybody come on up here, killing the thing. God, look at that. Uh, that, that, uh, you, you, you get up to the, to, to, to the, to the altar, and head bowed, just holy. <laughs> you only want to talk loud because it's such a holy place. <laughs> Priest check. What, 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 what's wrong with you, man? This thing, short leg over here, hump back. Take that junk home. They, they weren't crazy enough to, to, to do. 
I'm, I'm exaggerating the point to y'all, okay? But hear, hear me. The reason why this is important is because you know what happens nowadays? Nowadays, our worship is a private thing. Prayer, prayer is a private thing. I'm holy by myself. <laughs> when I get around others, you know, I, I don't want to demonstrate my holiness. The Bible says, you know, that I should pray in my prayer closet so I don't pray publicly. Y'all hear me? This is what happens. Church. <laughs> See, I'm, 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 I'm laughing about this, but this is sad. Because the reality is that that mentality keeps the church from progressing into what God wants it to progress into. That right there keeps the church from becoming what God wants it to become. I'm not telling you you got to get up here and pray, you know, oh, you know, all that. No, that, that, that ain't what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you got to get up here and you got to be the loudest worshiper in the house. I'm not saying any of that stuff because, you know, there's a truth to that. There's, there, there is a reality that you can become boastful about those things. But you want to know something that's amazing to me because when you search the journals of history, God was obviously not offended with men and women who were desperately crying out for his presence. God was obviously not offended with men and women who were broken before him and running after him. On the contrary, he was moved so greatly by those people that he caused great and glorious revival to manifest in the earth. And so what I'm saying is that we, as the body of Christ, we have got to get past that stuff and we've got to begin to publicly demonstrate straight but we are practicing privately did you hear me what you practice see when I, and, and I, i'll say it like this because i've been blessed you know i'm able to sit on this piano glory to god and worship when i say blessed i, I mean the opportunity hallelujah but you know what you can you can ask my wife you can ask my neighbor cheryl because i didn't realize this but she says i'm like real loud glory to god I mean, I knew I was loud, but I didn't realize how loud I was. And, you know, one day she's like, yeah, I was walking by the other day, and you were, you was just playing and worshiping all loud. And I just stood out there and worshiped for a little bit and kept walking the dog. And I was like, well, bless God, I'm providing worship services for the neighborhood. Hallelujah. I'm like thinking these folks must think I am nuts, done lost my mind. But it's all right. Hallelujah. Listen, but what, what I do here, when I'm sitting right here, this is what I do in my house. This is what I do in my living room with worship, waking my wife up. She's like, this man is crazy, hallelujah. I got 15 minutes more to sleep, and he wants to start singing like he's crazy. But listen, I try to put the headphones on, but, you know, I can't do anything about my mouth, right? Amen. But here is, here is the thing that I'm saying <laughs> is that not everybody, obviously, is going to get a piano and put it in the living room. That's not necessary. Not everybody in here is going to be a singer. Hello, somebody. But everybody in here should be a worshiper. See, when we, when we look at what happened in the Old Testament, it's the same thing in the New Testament. Well, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take up your cross and follow me daily. But can I ask you a question? Was that cross supposed to be only carried in your living room? Was that cross only supposed to be, be carried while you were walking around your block? Was that block, was that cross only supposed to be carried when you were in your bedroom, or, or was that cross supposed to be carried when you went to work? Was that cross supposed to be carried when you were in the mall? Was that cross supposed to be carried when you were in the grocery store? Was that cross supposed to be carried? Every in other words, you are, again, and I, and I continue to repeat this because in, in, in the whole building process, 
the most important place to begin in is the altar. The personal place, the place where you as a living sacrifice are coming and meeting God. Because in the New Testament, the cross is the place where your regeneration is combined with your sanctification. Hello, somebody. See, because you've been regenerated, right? You've been through, you know, the phase one classes. You've been regenerated. You've been born again. Hallelujah. You have new life inside of you. One day you came to an altar and the tears weren't what saved you. What saved you was the experience of you being born again. Now you were dead in your trespasses. You repented of your sin and now new life comes inside of you. But there's something else that got to happen and it's something called sanctification. Right? And, what, and how, does, how does sanctification work? It works with that cross on your back, hallelujah. Denying your flesh, saying, wait a second, I was born again. I have new life inside of me. Therefore, I can't talk like that anymore. I have new life inside of me. Therefore, I cannot go there anymore. I have new life inside of me. Therefore, I can't think like that anymore. I have new life inside of me, therefore I can't allow others to influence me like that anymore. Because the new life inside of me requires me to do what? It requires me to bring glory and honor to the king of kings in all things. So when we, so when we carry this cross, that is our sacrifice that we are continuing to carry before the Lord and that we are offering unto him on a daily basis. You see, we will, if we are truly, if you're truly, truly born again, if you truly have had an encounter with the King of Kings, you know what you are going to do? There's no question about it. You will carry your cross. Because listen, church, it is impossible, impossible for you and I to follow Jesus without carrying a cross. Hello? It's impossible. The third thing I want you to repeat after me is this. The altar and sacrifice are worthless without a consuming fire. You can have the altar. You can have the place where the sacrifice is. You can bring the sacrifice. You can do all that stuff. But if there's no fire, worthless. If there's no fire, it's going to sit there. It's going to rot. It's going to become nothing. There's got to be fire. And can I tell you the problem? Y'all are going to love this one. The issue is that there are too many professing Christians who are flame retardant. Did you hear me? There are too many professing Christians who are non-flammable. God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to just, just get you to be consumed by him. Flame retarded. Hmm. I'll come this far, but I'm not stepping to that next level. I'll come to this place, but I'm not going. So you know what that means? You know, you know what being flame retardant is? It means that it's going to burn. It's just going to take forever. And by the time the fire is going to burn it, guess what? The water will have put that fire out. 
So in other words, for this thing to burn, see these things right here, these little sheets right there, they're flame retarding, glory to God. By the time those things were to catch on fire, you see these little things up in here, those little sprinklers? The fire will be out before those things catch on fire because they resist the fire. You know what the Bible tells us, church? The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire. So if I am saying that there are too many of us professing Christians who are flame retarded, I'm saying that we're God retardant. Hello? We're not willing to allow God to have his full way in our lives. See, we can't be a living sacrifice if God is not our all-consuming fire. Because here's the reality. Our commitment to God combined with God consuming our lives will produce quality Christianity that will carry revival into this world. You see, when I went back to those folks, you know, and, and reading and the histories of revival and all of these things that God has, you know, done in the past, the one thing that I realized is that these people, they were consumed by God. 100%. You didn't, listen, 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 listen. You didn't have to cheerlead for them. You didn't have to motivate them. You didn't have to, you, you didn't have to manipulate them. We have them pray up in church, and if you love God, you're going to be here, right? You, have to, you, you, you didn't have to do none of that. You know why? Because these people were knocking on the door of the house of the Lord. For what? Because they just wanted to seek the face of God. Their pillow, mm -hmm, I said it, their pillow wasn't more comfortable than the presence of the Lord. Did you hear me, church? Their bed didn't compare in warmth to the fire of God that they felt in his presence. And listen, we as a people have got to come to that place. You see, because we are in dire need. If you, if, if, if you look and, and you just study the history of revival, it's been, you know, 100 plus years since the United States of America has seen a real move of God. And what I mean by this, a move of God that has swept this nation. I'm not just talking about a move of God that happened here or a move of God that happened there. I'm talking about the move of God that you would that, that would literally be written about. That, that, that's the move of God that I'm talking about. Because when you look at all of these other ones, God, it was written of newspapers were talking about it. I can, I can assure you that if there was a real, real move of God that was taking place, right now that was I mean that that was transforming and just doing what God wants to do it would be all over the news hello somebody trust me trust me it would be there but church you know why it won't happen because we're too busy in our own lives flame retarded we can't be consumed by God. And see, here's the thing about the altar is that the altar, you could always tell in the Old Testament days, you could always tell you were getting close to the altar because the heat would intensify. Hello? 
Because if you read the text with me, which I know you did, it said that they offered what? The offering in the morning and they offered it in the evening. And there was a continual incense that was burning on that altar. There was a continual fire that was there burning in church. That is what we need to have within our lives today. And so as I'm closing, here's what we realize is that our God is a consuming fire. And his altar will be consumed in his presence. And so the question is, are you consumed? Are you consumed in every area with the presence of the Lord? It doesn't mean you're going to walk on clouds. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a bad day or a bad moment. Because listen, all of us are going to have bad days and bad moments. And unfortunately, we cannot live in the third heavens all day. Because if we do, then we will be no good here and we don't even need to be here. Hello, somebody. But what we do know is that we can be consumed by him. We can assure that at least, at at minimum, that we can be the equivalent of this altar of sacrifice and that we can meet with God in the morning and allow him to consume our lives and we can meet with God in the evening and allow him to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness so that way tomorrow the fire will burn brighter and burn longer and burn hotter. See, we can at least do that. I know it's up in the ante some because some of us are still trying to work on that 15 minutes of prayer with God. But listen, church, We're not babies. It's time for us to take that step. And you know what I've noticed? Here's the thing that I notice about babies. A lot of times babies pray more than those older folks in the Lord. Hello, somebody. Because I know when I was a baby, it wasn't nobody. Nobody was saying you. You, you know, you, you want to know what people were saying to me when, I, when they were talking about me being a baby? And, and this is not to boast, so please don't take this the wrong way. Folks would sit down with me, and I would talk to them. And you know what they'd be like? How old are you? I'd be like, I'm, you know, 18 years old. And they're like, and how long you been a Christian? You know, about a year or whatever. And they're like, man, that is amazing. We need more young people like you. Why is that? Because when that baby meets his Savior, when that baby meets him, he can't. Look, you, you know what? You know, you know what? Here's what happens. It's like our children. You ever seen those children that we call spoiled? I'm going to look down right now. Glory to God. I should probably enter back. I'm on the altar. That's the holy place, but I'm going to stand here. Glory. I feel protected. <laughs> Those kids that they will not let you put them down for nothing. You know those kids? I'm looking down still. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. They're babies. But you know what they found? They found a place where they can't get enough of. Did you hear me? They found a place where they just want to be at all times. They found a place of warmth. They found a place of security. They found a place where they can see everything going on. Hello, somebody. Because when they're down here, they can't see nothing but butts. Mm-hmm. And that, that's all they, they, they can't see. What, what else can they see? They can't see anything else. But when daddy or mommy or titi or whoever, right, picks them up, grandpa, grandma, hallelujah, picks them up. Now, it's a whole nother thing, right? It's the same thing with us spiritually. Babies, once they've been embraced by the king of glory, they want to be embraced as often as possible. 
They want to be in his bosom as often as possible. They want to be there because they have found somewhere that is like no other place that they have ever been. And that's the telltale sign if you have really had an encounter with the Almighty One. Because if you've really had an encounter, guess what? You will want to be there. And you know what? It's not a thing of what I want to be consumed or No, it is you will be consumed because He is all. He is everything. And that is what we have got to ask our question this morning. Am I consumed he wants to consume you the question is what is it that is hindering you what is it that needs to be consumed in your life before he can consume every area does he need to consume sin in your life is there sin that needs to be dealt with are there behaviors are there activities are there things, mindsets that you are dealing with that if he doesn't consume them, that you're not going to be able to be consumed by him in other areas? Because that's what he wants to do. See, fire does something. It burns it all up. And it's funny because when I went on a missions trip one time, I remember I was looking up. We were driving down the road. I believe it was in Mexico. And when we're driving down the road, we were looking at the fields where the trees were. And as we're looking at these fields where these trees were, we're looking at, there's an area that's burnt. Like all of this is burnt, burnt, burnt. And then it's green. And now we're out, we're, we're way out. It, it, it ain't like, you know, we're, we're somewhere in, you know, like the city. No, no, no. This is like way out there. There is no machinery, nothing. And, and, we, and we drive, kept driving. And we're like, this is burnt and then green and burnt. And then, one, and, and then the person who was directing us, you know, who was leading us in that trip, he tells us that what it is is that they have a science, it's down to a science, the, the people out there, they own these areas. And what they have to do in order for them to build their crops and to do their thing, they've got to burn everything down. So they learn how to burn it in a way to where it will stop before it gets to the next place. Is that not amazing? Hello. Some of us Christians are the same way. We learn to burn and stop. Instead of just letting it consume us and letting God do what he wants to do, we let it burn a certain portion of our lives that's it. And then before you know it, what are we? Back to being cold. Hello. So what is it, church? Is it sin? Maybe God needs to consume some bitterness or some hatred or some resentment that's in your heart. Maybe he needs to consume some fears or he needs to consume some doubts that may be in your life. Maybe he needs to consume some anger. Maybe he needs to consume some addiction in your life. Maybe he needs to consume blame, that you're blaming everybody else for stuff. Maybe he needs to consume shame of your past or things that you've done. I don't know what it is, church, but here's the reality. We will either be consumed by God now or we will be consumed later. And the choice is up to us. He wants to consume us now. He wants to remove those things that do not bring glory to him. Because you know what? If it doesn't bring glory to him, it ain't no good for you anyway. Did you hear what I just said? If it doesn't bring glory to him, you don't need it. And if you will allow him to consume you, you'll be taking the first step in this building project. Amen. Come on and stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads.